Part Two, Chapter Three of Bonaventure, a Prose Pastoral of Acadian Louisiana. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Bonaventure, a Prose Pastoral of Acadian Louisiana by George W. Cable. Part Two, Chapter Three: The Handshaking. There was news in Grand Point: the fair noon sky above, with its peaceful flocks of clouds the solemn wet forest round about, the harvested fields, the disheveled fragrant fallows, the reclining ruminating cattle, the little chapel of St. Vincent de Paul in the midst, open for mass once a fortnight, for a sermon in French four times a year, these were not more tranquil in the face of the fact that a schoolmaster had come to Grand Point to stay than outwardly appeared the peaceful-minded villagers. Yet as the tidings floated among the people, touching and drifting on like thistledown, they were stirred within, and came by ones, by twos, slow-stepping, diffidently smiling, to shake hands with the young great man. They wiped their own before offering them, the men on their strong thighs, the women on their aprons children came whose courage would carry them no nearer than the gallery's end or front edge where they lurked and hovered or gazed through the balustrade or leaned against a gallery post and rubbed one brown bare foot upon another and crowded each other's shoulders without assignable cause or lopped down upon the grass and gazed from a distance little conversation was offered the curiosity was as unobtrusive as the diffidence was without fear and when a villager's soft low speech was heard it was generally an answer to inquiries necessary for one to make who was about to assume the high office of educator moreover the schoolmaster revealed with all gentleness his preference for the english tongue and to this many could only give ear only two or three times did the conversation rise to a pitch that kindled even the ready ardor of the young man of letters once after a prolonged silence the host having gazed long upon his guest said without preface tough job you got and waved a hand toward the hovering children sir replied the young scholar is it not the better to do whiles it is the more tough the more toughness the more honor he rose suddenly, brushed back the dry brown locks of his fine hair, and extending both hands, with his limp straw hat dangling in one, said, "'Sir, I will ask you, is not the schoolmaster the true patriot? Shall his honour be less than that of the soldier? Yet I ask not honour for me, I am not fit. Yet after my poor capacities—' He resumed his seat." An awesome quiet followed. Then someone spoke to him, too low to be heard. He bent forward to hear the words repeated, and Mian said for the timorous speaker, "'Ah, oh, das nothing. He just only say, "'Is Monsieur Wallis begin to grind?' Few tarried long, though one man, he whom the schoolmaster had found sitting on the roadside with Maximian, stayed all day, and even among the villagers themselves there was almost no loquacity. Maximian, it is true, as the afternoon wore along, and it seemed plain that the reception was a great and spontaneous success, 
spoke with growing frequency and heartiness, and when the guest sat down alone at a table within, where La Vieille, the wife, was placing half a dozen still-sputtering fried eggs, a great wheaten loaf, a yellow gallon bowl of boiled milk, a pewter ladle, a bowie knife, the blue tumbler and a towel, and out on the gallery the callers were still coming, his simple neighbors pardoned the elation that led him to take a chair himself a little way off, sit on it sideways, cross his legs gaily, and with a smile and wave of his good brown hand say, Servez-vous, help yourself, eat much you like, till you swell up. Even he asked no questions. Only near the end of the day, when the barefoot children by gradual ventures had at length gathered close about, and were softly pushing for place on his knees and huddling under his arms, and he was talking French, the only language most of them knew, he answered the first personal inquiry put to him since arriving. His name, he replied to the tiny, dark, big-eyed boy who spoke for his whispering fellows, his name was Bonaventure, Bonaventure des Champs. As the great October sun began to dip his crimson wheel behind the low black line of swamp, and the chapel cross stood out against a band of yellow light that spanned the west, he walked out to see the village, a little girl on either hand, and little boys round about. The children talked apace. Only the girl whose hand he held in his right was mute. She was taller than the rest, yet it was she to whom the little big-eyed boy pointed when he said, vain of his ability to tell it in English, I don't got but eight-year-old me. I'm grand for my age. But she, she not grand for her age, Sidonie. No, she not grand at all for her age. They told the story of the chapel, how some years before, in the convent of the Sacred Heart, at the parish seat a few miles away on the Mississippi, a nun had, by the Pope's leave, cast off the veil, how she had come to Grand Point and taken charge of her widowed brother's children, and how he had died and she had found means, the children knew not how, to build this chapel. And now she was buried under it, they said. It seemed, from what they left unsaid as well as what they said, that the simple influence of her presence had kindled a desire for education in Grand Point not known before. "'Das my tante, my hant. She was my hant before she die,' said the little man of eight years, hopping along the turf in front of the rest. He dropped into a walk that looked rapid, facing round and moving backward. She learned me English, my tante, and she try to learn Sidonie, but Sidonie, Sidonie find that too strong to learn that English, Sidonie. He hopped again, talking as he hopped, and holding the lifted foot in his hand. He could do that and speak English at the same time, so talented was Tutu. Thus the sun went down, and at Maximian's style again, Bonaventure Deschamps took the children's cheeks into his slender fingers and kissed them one by one, beginning at the least, and so up, slowly, towards Sidonie Leblanc. With very earnest tenderness it was done, some grave word of inspiration going before each caress. But when at last he said, "'Tomorrow, dear children, the school-bell shall ring in Grand Point,' 
and turned to finish with Sidonie, she was gone. End of Part 2, Chapter 3